Hey, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Southside Trap Podcast, the podcast that helps you stay inside with the Chicago Red Stars. It's your girl, Sandra. Here today with a special edition episode. We've got a wonderful guest on. We're so excited to chat with. Uh, ready to get into some some fun things, some Chicago Red Stars things, some media-specific things, and of course, some wonderful city of Chicago things. Lots to get into, can't do it alone. So I'm here today with my friend, homie, and colleague, Claire Watkins, AKA Scam Originator. Claire, how you doing today? I'm good. As always, every time you do this and you intro, like we're gonna have a special guest, I'm always like, oh, I wonder who it is. Not me. <laughs> But yeah, no, I'm great, but excited. I'm excited. Gotta have up the energy because today we are joined by ESPN's Sarah Spain, Chicago Red Stars owner and famous Chicago. And how are you doing today, Sarah? (laughs) I'm good. Thanks for having me. We're really excited uh, to have you on the podcast. We were really excited when the Red Stars went ahead and expanded the ownership group and we were looking through that list and we were trying to point out immediately all of those uh, Chicagoland natives and we were like, Sarah Spain, it just makes sense <laughs> so to sort of kick things off let's just uh ask you this first one you know when did you become a women's soccer fan and and, and when chicago specifically well i suppose you could go all the way back to all my friends who played soccer or even me playing soccer in eighth grade for a little bit um went to see the 99ers at soldier field so that was my first professional women's soccer game um but yeah i mean it wasn't my top sport. It, it, it never has been really. Cause I played basketball, field hockey and track in high school. I got recruited for all of them for college and I followed along with all of them, um, ended up just doing track at the collegiate level. But, um, as much as I've always liked soccer, I very much prefer women's soccer to men's. Um, and I love men's soccer. Occasionally it can be really entertaining and super athletic, but, um, I've just never been as into the Premier League and, and all the other stuff. Um, and as we know, our men's U.S. national team is not particularly good. So the opportunities to watch the women really went up and the awareness around the women's team went up. Um, however long ago, maybe a dozen years post 99ers. And then they popped back up into our consciousness in a really big way. And all of a sudden I was like, this team is awesome. Like fell in love with Abby Wambach, fell in love with all the players. And, um, and so the Red Stars... I'm, I'm actually surprised that I wasn't aware of them a little earlier, but now that I'm on the ownership side, I understand how difficult it is to break through in a super, super flooded marketplace like Chicago, not only with sports, but culture and music and theater and the beach and everything. Um, but once I did find out about them and I was like, wait a minute, these U.S. women's national team players are in my backyard and I can go see them. Um, then I loved it. And then, um, you know, for me, going to games is as, is as much um, trying to, to, to just fit it into my schedule. I do radio every night, so I can't go to weeknight games of any sport. And then the weekends is, are you traveling? Are you working? Are you going to weddings or whatever the hell? So, um, once I finally started getting to some games, that's when I realized like that I wanted to help spread the word about the product. So started doing that both in stories for W and in throwing a tailgate party. And I think that's what drew the attention of, of the majority owner Arnhem. And that's how I got involved. Yeah. It seems like I'm, I'm so fascinated by this because right. You have a a background in doing men's sports media, Chicago media. And as you just said, not really soccer, there's not a huge soccer presence there. Um, what was sort of your journey of, I know for us, I know for me, I, my entrance back into this was the 2015 world cup, right? They win the world cup. You get very into that. And then there is just sort of 
this journey of like educating yourself. You're like, okay, so I know who these players are. And then let's mm-hmm. take the next step. Who are these players and where do they play and what position do they play when they play for their club teams? And so I wondered if you could talk about just not only falling in love with the U S is easy, right. But what was that journey of figuring out who Chicago really was getting into them as you're sort of learning, not only about the soccer space, but even just pushing more forward into the women's sports space. Yeah. So I do do women's sports for ESPN as well. It's just a matter of either forcing it into conversations where it's not already scheduled or in the case of some of the shows I do, we do really focus on trying to bring more conversations about women's sports in, but yeah, I mean, considering that still around 4% of sports media coverage is dedicated towards women. A lot of what you're going to hear me talking about is NBA playoffs and NFL and everything else. Um, I actually, before the 2015 World Cup, because a friend of mine from ESPN, who I didn't know that well, but he knew my work and stuff, Wayne Drays, um, suggested me to kneel at, at U.S. soccer as potentially someone who might travel with the team documenting and doing work on on them and helping promote them years, years ago, like decade plus ago. And it didn't work in terms of my schedule and timing. But because I was on the radar of U.S. soccer, then they had me host a couple different watch parties when the U.S. women's national team was playing in World Cups and Olympics. So because of that, um, I was already watching the team and a fan of the team. But then now I'm in Grant, not Grant Park, um, Lincoln Park or other parks like with a couple thousand fans on stage leading chants and getting everybody fired up about it. And that um, really contributed to me, like wanting to dive in more. Um I am not a soccer journalist. In fact, I just reached out to several soccer people. I should have asked you guys as well, but I was like, all right, Foudy, what book do I get that's going to tell me (laughs) about like set pieces and strategies and formations? And um, because it is difficult, um, first of all, just not having played really organized other than, like I said, like junior high, but junior high, it was like, you're a forward. Oh no, we're losing by a lot. Now you're the sweeper. Like it was basically like, are you good at, at running in and, and are you athletic now? We're just going to put you wherever. Cause we're playing, you know, the high school in a, in a, you know, friendly. Um, so, uh, still not a soccer journalist and will not ever say that I am just getting out ahead of that. So if people try to test my bona fides, I will tell them I do not cover soccer in any capacity other than talking about it for, um, for shows and stuff when I, when I want to, and when I'm compelled to discuss it, but, um, yeah, so th- that transition is actually happening now for me. I mean, going to the Red Stars games, being a sports journalist, I'm going to watch with a mindset of who's doing their job well, who isn't, what, what's working, where are the flaws, where are the shortcomings on this team, where did they need to bulk up, why did they lose to that team, why is this team better? Um, but right now, just for my own edification and because when I do anything, I do it 180,000% and I can't just like sit back, that I want to know. Um, so now I'm starting to educate myself more on that kind of stuff. Right on. Yeah, you mentioned, you touched on it a little bit, saying that how there's a big gap in the women's sports coverage when it comes to traditional men's spaces. So um, have you recently felt more empowered to, to make a change in that area, you know, considering from an owner's perspective versus media itself? Not really because of that. I just think in general, the space is, is in this incredible moment, this potential pivot point that if we don't capitalize on it, we will deeply regret it. And there's been a couple of these, but I will say that, you know, I worked at Fox Sports Net, which was a precursor to FS1. They were regional networks um, out in LA. That was my first real job after I decided to pivot and try to be a sports journalist. And I worked there for, I don't know, however long, four years maybe before moving um 
to Chicago, worked a couple of years there. And it wasn't until 2010 when ESPNW launched that I all of a sudden felt like I'm still working in the sports space, but I'm not the only woman in the room. And I am now surrounded by other women, a lot of whom were athletes, diehard fans, incredibly passionate about both men's and women's sports. And the investment in ESPNW became, I think, a really big turning point for the company where you've got this internal monitor that not only is providing you with great content, but is reminding you, hey, our social needs to cover this and we need to put this here and this should be front page and this should be tied into this. And when you talk about dynasties, you should also add UConn women's basketball and like all those things that come from having people who have an awareness in those spaces and in those rooms. Um, so that was a big moment for me in terms of feeling empowered to, to talk about and care about those things professionally and not just personally. Um, and then and then I would say now it's just about keeping that energy, right? It's really hard as different leaders and editors and executives and presidents of different companies come and go to continue to establish those through lines um, to make sure that it's still a priority. You know, next year is the 50th anniversary of Title IX. And we're pushing really hard to make sure that we're recognizing that and its power and tying that to more sustained, long-term, everyday coverage that that you know capitalizes on crazy investment in women's sports right now, whether that's new places popping up or that's simply ratings going through the roof for everything from NWSL to NW, WNBA to women's soccer and softball and, and basketball, all of it. And we're also starting to uncover a lot of the lies that have existed for so long that are holding women's sports back, right? The ways that their revenue is actually stunted by choices the NCAA makes. And then the NCAA says their revenue isn't high enough to warrant X or Y. And it's it's the circular logic that once you get to the root of who's causing it, you can actually start to fight back. So um, I do feel like we're in a great point where I can feel empowered, not just because of my ownership, but because of the spaces that we're in and the work that's been done for decades uh, to try to, to get a more level playing field. That's so interesting to me too, because I, both Sandra and I came up just doing, we have been like just women's soccer, just women's sports. Sandra does some, some men's stuff now for CBS. And it always seems like the experience for women in the sports media space. If you are working in these larger, these larger rooms, talking about larger things, which does frequently include men's sports, a very different experience than what we have just in the women's sports space. And since you are now and oh, and have been, but you've always kind of had like a hand in both of those spaces. Have you found that there is a different energy, that there is kind of a different process, maybe a little bit more, I mean, positive is the wrong word, but it's a little bit less adversarial sometimes in the women's space. Um, but also those resources aren't there and it's not necessarily getting some of the professionalism that we've seen right. in other areas. Totally. So a couple of things that you made me think of that I think are very true. One is that there are people who have dedicated their entire careers to covering women's sports and they do it better than anyone. And the work that they do is fantastic. And their profile and their personal brand will never be as big as someone who's focused in the men's world. That doesn't make their work any less valuable and it doesn't make their choice a bad one. There is something to be said, though, too, for, in my in my opinion, thus far, the way that I've done it is I'm in these spaces. Now let me bring the women's sports into the spaces that everybody's watching and put it on a same level, you know, bit of coverage versus 
you have to go seeking it out. And there's, you need both, right? You need the people dominating the coverage. And then I want those experts who are covering it every day to come on those platforms and talk about it or to help inform me so that when I go on around the horn and we talk about women's softball or basketball or softball, um, we could talk about it in- intelligently and, and with facts and not just like, did they score too many goals? And was that mean? Um, and so I think you need both of those and it's unfortunate and it's bullshit that the people who cover predominantly women's sports are not going to probably get paid as much. And you're right. The resources and the investment and, and the pay and everything else is, is lower. So you're going to flock to the spaces that have the highest um, profile and resources and attention. And as a journalist, like even if you're in it for all the right reasons, you still want your your work to be seen and heard and read, right? That's not self-serving entirely. It's about, this is the thing I put my my blood, sweat, and tears into, and I want it to make a difference. And it's going to make a difference at ESPN, writing about something like the NBA, perhaps bigger audience than otherwise. But for me, that's why I've always liked being able to straddle both worlds because then I can say, oh, you all love me because I talk about the Cubs. Oh, have you ever watched the Red Stars? Like, come on over. Um, So there's that. And then I will also say in terms of the spaces, it's not uniform and and men and women are not monoliths or non-binary people are not monoliths, but um, for instance, Around the Horn is a fantastic place to work. It's a family. Tony Reale is the leader and his vision permeates everything. And so if I say, looking at the lineup, we do our call in the morning about topics. And I say, I really think we should talk about, you know, women's final four or this player or this person or this issue, they will always consider it and very often do it. They, they really listen. Um, now I don't push my luck. I don't say it every day when there's not really a story that I think our panelists can, can talk about in, a, in an in- interesting way. But, um, but I will say outside of some of the spaces like that, and then like my producer for radio and fits, always open and ready. And like Fitz is always like, let's do more MBA, let's, or WNBA, let's do more of this. Um, but in general, the rooms full of women, our best idea wins. Let's get this shit done. And the rooms full of men are often dick measuring contests based on who believes that their voice should be the loudest and they're the most powerful. And if you do what they suggested, then they win. Um, and that is now, I'm not going to say how long I've been in the business because I'm old as F now, but I've been in it long enough to be able to make those generalizations based on many different rooms and many different shows and many different companies that I find that a lot of times just the work gets done when women are at it and it gets done thoughtfully and empathetically and intelligently and, you know, with everybody coming together instead of um, sometimes the, the power bullshit that gets in the way. Sarah Spain is feeding us today. I know, we're right? Still, we're, still at the top, and we're still at the top of this episode. I'm just, like, yes, right girl. Now. I'm just like, man, crops, water, pours clear. Um, speaking of dicks or, uh, you know, just, just just getting into some things. I, you know, I'm, we're all followers of each other and, and mutual supporters of each other's work. And uh, I know that recently, you know, on, on your podcast, but that's what she said, you invited uh, Jennifer Sturger on your podcast, and there was a discussion of of her story, and um, really the the ways in which media reacted to it in sort of a maybe almost a, a dismissive way, really. And you actually included yourself within that landscape. And I just wanted to ask you, you know, what was the process like for you um, getting to that point of recognition, and you know, sort of like that this was an incorrect response. How can we correct it? And, right. and you know, how how do you think um, you know media could continue to to improve there? I think it's very natural for us to learn and grow. Well, 
hopefully all of us are learning and growing and evolving and taking pieces of information and facts and things that we learn and changing and getting better. And so because that's usually gradual, we don't always necessarily even remember that we used to feel differently. And so the reason that I was reminded of my, and and to be fair, I wasn't publicly slandering Jen. I wasn't making her a punchline. I wasn't doing that. I merely was part of a round table and we used to do these roundtables for ESPNW a lot where we reacted in the moment to an event that was breaking news. And they were a fine idea, but unfortunately, in certain cases like this one, we would have been much better off letting someone who was reporting on it do the reacting and writing instead of having five people write a quick paragraph response because we didn't have all the facts and we weren't you know, doing the actual reporting and, and journalism on it. Um, that being said, my response was to presume guilt or some sort of involvement from her and to believe that an NFL investigation would be done fairly and come to the right decision. Like neither are assumptions I would now make knowing what I know, but at the time I was, I was really naive. And so I was reminded of that roundtable by Jen herself a couple of years ago. And it smacked me across the face to see that I had written that because it had been now there had been so many years in between where I had done a lot of work to understand. And like Ray Rice was, I think the biggest moment for a lot of um, companies in realizing that they were sending out panels of all men to talk about this issue who were not educated on domestic violence or male, female interpersonal conflict or anything, victim blaming all of that. It was rampant and ESPNW was in existence and they were able to send out people who were empathetic and informed. And because of that, I wanted to become more informed so that when those issues came up, there were voices available who could speak to it with that background. And so having then spent years learning more about everything from DV to sexual assault and harassment and writing about it and understanding and like literally talking to psychologists to try to understand in the case of Larry Nasser, why would people be harassing gymnasts? Why would someone send a 15 or 16 year old girl a message saying you were asking for it or you deserved it or how did you not know or yada? Like what would be in someone's mind? I wanted to truly understand it because it's easy to just say those people are awful people, but why? Like, how do you get to that place? And so understanding the just world ideology where we would prefer to think that when victims um, are victimized, they brought it on themselves. Like it's easier to believe that you did something for something bad to happen to you. That way we don't have to believe that we live in a world where you can have something bad happen to you by no fault of your own. That's a protective and defensive measure that we use to assume that nothing bad will happen to us as long as we make the right choices. Um, Understanding all those things over the course of many years and writing about them and doing all the work. When I saw that, I was like, oh God, like, I would never write that. And if I saw someone write that now, I would tell them all the reasons that they were wrong. And so a couple of years ago, it came up. And then when Jared Porter, the GM for the Mets, um, got fired and, and, and called out and, and found to have been sending harassing messages to a reporter, Jen came back in the news because it felt very similar in terms of the dick pic and everything to Brett Favre. And reminded me of that. And and we started talking again. And I said again, and I had said it years ago, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm amazed that I wrote that. I've learned so much and I'm so sorry for being a part of it. But this time it felt like let's actually dig in and understand how we do things wrong so that we don't repeat them. Because if we aren't willing to be honest enough and wise enough to acknowledge how we did it wrong, then we'll probably get ourselves in that same um, space again. And especially with like all the bullshit cancel culture, which is basically just accountability, right? It's it's accountability is now being labeled cancel culture so that people can push back on it. Um, People are mistaking the idea of going back and saying, here's where I was wrong. Here's how I've evolved. Now this is who I am. Cool. Yeah, cool. Like, 
Are we going to go through and be transparent about how you're not that person anymore? And here's the reasons that you did or said that. And let's talk about it. Great. That's all anyone's asking for. Not you're canceled for something from 20 years ago. And we're not having this conversation. This felt like a great opportunity to to show with my own story, how you can acknowledge the ways that you were uninformed or wrong and then grow and get better and evolve and then be on the right side of things. So um, I'm glad that she was willing to do it though. It was, um, you know, it's hard for her to every time it comes back up. So. Yeah. um, And it seems like all of this is maybe a good thing to just carry into sort of the next, the next topic of conversation, which is the NWSL is very new. It's a very new space. Women's club soccer in the U S and elsewhere is brand new. And you talk about learning from experience and utilizing expertise. So mistakes that even have already been made in this space or have just been made in sports in general don't occur. Um, so, I mean, first question is just more general. How has it been? And I'm glad that we're talking to you now rather than maybe right when the ownership stuff was announced, how has it been entering into sports Mm -hmm. ownership into women's sports ownership have you found that you have a perspective that you're not necessarily seeing behind the scenes or in you know in front and just how's that experience been so far it's been a big uh learning curve right because i have so much to learn and it's everything from you know concession revenue at the stadium to do we invest in LED lights, to jer- uh, jerseys and kits and, and drafting players and everything else. Um, and we can be as involved or not involved as we choose. Um, I, as I mentioned earlier, have a investment in all things that I do, 180,000%. Um, it's been awesome. And it's been useful for me in terms of my other work too, because I certainly still hold true to all the things that I've said about ownership and choices being made, particularly in women's sports. Um, but now I have a more nuanced view of all the behind the scenes on it. And even things like, you know, in the NHL, uh, the Rangers put out a statement complaining about a decision the NHL officiating made about a player injured um, with a hit. And they called for the firing of a particular employee of the NHL that runs their, you know, health and safety and stuff. And my co-host was like, we were, you know, discussing it and saying the NHL is completely wrong for finding them $250,000 for that. This was a bad call. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, but here's the thing. Now that I'm an owner, I recognize that essentially teams and leagues are partners and right. every team rep- represents the larger league. And if you do something that cuts at the integrity of the larger league, or you're essentially at trying to get someone fired that works for the league, um, that reflects poorly on the entire product. Do that behind the scenes, complain about the call, make a statement about everything, and then behind the scenes, express your concerns about the particular person in that position. Um, and I don't think I would have had that that opinion if it weren't for now understanding the role that the Red Stars play in the larger NWSL with the other teams, et cetera. Um, but for the most part, it's just reinforced a lot of what I already believe, which is this essential question of women's sports is, do you believe in it enough to invest more and, and take bigger risks, understanding and believing that it's going to pay off. And that's been, that's been the issue for the entirety of its existence is it doesn't get treated like a startup, which requires intense investment off the top for a payoff that you then wait for and are willing to be patient for later. And that also men's sports have benefited from taxpayer stadium 
bills and politicians passing laws that help them and endless amounts of support that we don't even recognize anymore because it's so baked into the system that are not afforded to nascent women's leagues. And then we question why the success isn't the same. And the analogy I always use, because it's the most simple, is if you had a son and a daughter and you gave your son $10 and you gave your daughter a dollar, and then five years from then you said, daughter, why is son's business doing so much better? Duh. Right. <laughs> right. And then let's also tag on that your son's business uh, had a hundred years of nostalgia attached to it. And that you grew up knowing about the business and already having the brand awareness in your face every second of every day of where you go. Like all of these things are obvious, but until we acknowledge and address them head on, we have the same bullshit, ignorant conversations over and over about how the product is flawed. It's not the product. There are plenty of people who love the product and more people who would love the product if it wasn't, as Sue Bird said, the well wasn't poisoned before you even started, right? And the people who take shots at women's sports as a whole, just the idea of women being athletes, poison the well so that when you get there, your expectations are already as such, and then the investment isn't there. So um, being in the meetings, I'm, I there's plenty of people in there that put in more money than me. So I try to remind myself that when I say we need to spend more on X, next, and X, um, it's not always my money. Some of it's my money, but like, um, well, I was going to say, I love how you adopted like the DIY philosophy. With a lot yeah, I'm like, your, you're like, I'm like, listen, my, my graphics suck, yeah. but if this is what I think that we need to get more people to, and I know personally, because so many of them are <laughs> friends or fans of mine that are saying, okay, I bought my red stars gear. I'm going to watch the games. I'm like, all right, here's what you need to know. They're playing on this channel yeah. at this time, <laughs> yeah. like, which also sucks. Like, I wish that wasn't the case. I love the CBS deal, but like every game I'm like, okay, everybody, Paramount Plus today or Twitch. And here's how you right. use Twitch. I'm literally yeah. putting out like, here's how you use Twitch. Um, here's how you watch on Paramount Plus. Here's how you watch, you know, on, on CBS Sports. And then I know how many of them are going to turn it on and be much more interested if I tell them, here's the best player. They lost to this team. They're, these people fight. These whatever. I would like to get even more in detail, but I'm always worried about how I'm going to overstep my bounds because now I'm an owner, so I can't be like they used to be dating, and it's like wild as shit because like they broke up. Um, and I'm like, am I allowed? I'm going to stay out of that stuff for now. You need, you need a you need a burner. You need a. I you do. Need a yeah, I need a. I, you got to go the Kevin Durant route. That's a great idea. Yeah. Just like create another account that's like Red Star Super Fan. Yeah. <laughs> They'll be like, wait, this graphic design looks just as shitty as Sarah's name. <laughs> like, hold on a second. This has some of the same elements of Spain artwork. Yeah, exactly. Going out here. Uh, I love it. Uh, since we're focusing and centering a little bit on more team specific stuff and, uh, and under the realm of of ownership, I'm I'm, I'm rocking my my hood space. Uh, yeah, I have that shirt today on on the episode. And um, obviously, you can't get into to too many specifics, being on the ownership side of things, but. Um, you know, I remembered when the ownership group got got a new announced, and there was a very lengthy <laughs> press conference about it, including you guys. And I pitched a question to to both you and, and Kendall Coin specifically about, you know, being able to have be an ownership group um, that supports Black lives, Black players throughout, you know, on the team, but just really throughout the league, essentially. And there there was obviously the the incident that took place um, in Houston with with Sarah Gordon and her being able to you know, express, uh, you know, what happened out there, but, you know, just 
how have you sort of now internalized supporting your players while having to, you know, be on the, the ownership side of things where you don't have the burner just yet, but yeah, no, how not have you yet. been doing with that? Uh, I think, you know, cloned myself to then do all the work that I want to do, but secretly, um, it's been really tough because of COVID and normally we would have hung out with the players by now. We would have had a couple different owners and players meetings and hangs, and we would have gotten to know some of them more personally. And that would have made it easier to really express our support of them. And as I mentioned on that zoom, like the, the issues of diversity in sport need to be addressed at every level, but a great place to start is at the ownership level, right? If every single professional sport is majority owned by one rich white dude, then the decision-making, even when there's a diverse front office is, is going to be maybe not as thought through or as, as much based on the lived experiences of, of different people as when you can bring in an ownership group like ours, where all of a sudden players can go to an owner that's black or gay or a woman or whatever. Right. And so I want those relationships to be stronger if the players so choose but that's the other thing. So between COVID making it hard for us to get together in a real sense, um, because there's still pretty strict protocols for the players to make sure that we don't infect them or otherwise. Um, there's also a sense of we need to be a unified front as owners. So as much as we want to connect with players and make sure they know that we got their backs and help them with things, whether it's you know a PR rep owner who can help them find sponsorship deals or things like that, that benefit both the team and the players. There's also a sense that like, we don't want a player going to one owner and then having it be a good cop, bad cop situation. Well, Arnhem said we couldn't do it. Well, I'm going to get that for you. Right. And then someone else is like, we can't afford that. And then someone else is like, here, just take this. And like, Oh, did you give them a gift? What about the other play? Like there's, it's much more complicated than like you would imagine at the first thought of and so it creates this incredible group of powerful people that have all these resources and connections, but it has to be done really wisely so that it benefits the team and doesn't create any fractures. And so, um, you know, personally, it's it's difficult too because a lot of times they'll have like it, the, the the main plan for a lot of owners is like don't express too much personal opinion. Uh, you might get the team in trouble. And I'm like, well, <laughs> that's kind of my whole job is just my opinions on things often of which are major social issues and, and, you know, difficult topics, um, which has been fine, but I think I make it very clear where I stand on the most important things. And I know that the players have recognized and, and know that that's where I stand on those things. And so I feel like they can come to me if they want to. Um, but that's going to be fostered by the ability to actually create personal relationships if they so choose again, like they, they're, they have lives outside of soccer. And if that's not something that they're invested in, they, they don't need to hang out with me or, or, or use any of us owners to their benefit. So, um, we're still kind of figuring all that. It's really new, especially with the COVID stuff. Um, and yeah, and of course, as is painfully clear, I'm still figuring out what I'm allowed to say and do without getting in trouble. Um, but I'm also, you know, willing to take one for the team if it's in service of running things the way that I think a progressive league should. And I think the NWSL and every women's sports league is not only tasked with running themselves well and abiding by principles that they should, but also setting an example for other professional sports leagues. 
if we can't keep clean houses when it comes to harassment or um, issues of, of bigotry or, or anything like that, then demanding that of predominantly male leagues is even more challenging. Um, we need to set the precedent and the example. And so um, that's going to be a big part of our team and other teams and the leadership in this league to keep pushing to represent the ideals that I think are pretty tantamount to, to women's sports in general. And then sort of moving from the off-field stuff to more on-field stuff, you guys announced the big ownership group. There's the 2021 Challenge Cup. Um, and then the regular season starts and Chicago gets thumped by another yeah. team, five to nothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, another obviously team. we're not trying, we're not trying to dish too much dirt, nothing like that, but how has it been on that level, on the ownership level of trying to manage a good team, a team mm-hmm. that is competing for trophies and wants to, and hasn't yet. How has that side of the of it been, especially as you're sort of learning more about the game of soccer? Well, to be fair, they've competed for trophies, um, oh, winning trust them, me, we know winning that. them, yeah. winning yeah. them. They haven't yeah. done yet, yeah. but competing. Yes. Um, well, I mean, first of all, just personally that, that first game, I organized a watch party at the 50, 50 and, you know, it sold out. They were turning people away. And so I've got this huge group of people, 50, 50, um, bless them. They're doing their best, but like, again, it was a Twitch situation. So we were supposed to be outside, but then Twitch didn't connect to the cords or whatever for the exterior TV. So then they moved it inside last minute, but then the audio wasn't coming in again because it runs like through a different, I don't know how those giant systems work, but it's not like a normal TV with like a Sono speaker. It's like a whole big thing with plugs and HDMIs, whatever. So they're trying to get the audio going, which to be honest, I'm kind of okay with not having heard the audio for that first half against that other team. Um, but yeah, I've got this huge room full of people rocking their gear. Everyone's excited and everyone's like watching me every time a goal is scored. And I'm like, (laughs) um, so yeah. Oh, so like us. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I've got people messaging me on TV. They're like, Kamish, is it harder to watch your team get their ass kicked when you own them? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Turns out. Turns out it's much more difficult. Much shittier. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So that's the other thing that's, you know, as someone who's been in a lot of spaces and is always a pretty vocal person, one thing I am very cognizant of is, and I think this comes from honestly my job as a woman in sports, if you mess up, it is hyper-analyzed. There is a massive spotlight on you. People will literally say you don't deserve to have your job because you got X stat wrong or you missed the pronunciation of a name. And that does not happen for men in this field. That is absolutely 100% the case. Oh, he he meant to say this, whatever, whatever. And because of in my early career, understanding the stakes of getting things right, I I try not to speak too much on things that I don't know about. Now, that's not to say that I'm an expert on everything I talk about. That'd be impossible for my job. It's just too much information every day. But I, I'm aware and I don't like there's been some pretty high profile cases of some pretty famous men's sports reporters who they want to sound more knowledgeable than they have the time to put in. And they'll talk about like, this guy's had a really good series and that person's been injured for five months. Like they're not even in the series. So they're taxed, their bandwidth is low and they're grabbing for facts. And sometimes maybe they're grabbing a story from like a different year and not realizing it and right. Taking that information. I'm very aware of not overextending. And so I, I feel the same way about the owner's meetings. 
I am going to contribute as much as I can to all of the pieces that I feel like I can contribute to. And that is not drafting players, looking at the best skill sets, understanding who our best rotation is, explaining why we lost or won a game, criticizing Rory, criticizing players. Every once in a while, I can see a player and be like, what the fuck are you doing? But I'm no longer allowed to tweet that. Um, but, um, but yeah, like I need to, and, and that's not going to help the team function in any way for those of us who are not experts to try to like get all chesty about like, I really think we should be doing this. Right. So um, I can't really speak to the creation of a winning team, except to say that I think um, I will continue to ask questions including, you know, before the season started, we all knew the same issue. Who's our, who's our scorer? Who's our, who's our like badass? Cause we had Kristen press. We had Sam Kerr. We, we had Yuki setting up Sam. Like when you look at the statistics and you watch the games, you know, what's missing and what's there. And so, you know, we can always ask questions about what's our answer to that. And, and then hope that the people who are in charge of that side of things are on top of it. You can't necessarily be in charge of the that those type of decisions and and you're taking a certain role, but you know, in terms of what you have been providing has been some pretty killer tailgates as we can <laughs> personally testify to. I got my party PhD, so I will always extend my knowledge in all areas of good times. Yeah. It's like, right. not only are you throwing the party, but you are like in the thick of it at all yeah. times. Yes. Which like- by the way, I have failed thus far both times in arriving on time, which would then allow me to set up right next to local 134, which is my goal so that we have one big party instead of two that are like five cars away from each other. Um, and so timeliness is not thus far. Now we're learning that like whatever GPS says, just add extra time to get there so that we can get there on time to set up. What what is the um what is the bridge view outlook for Sarah Spain? You know, so many people have so many things to say about yeah. um, getting out to to the stadium, and you know, there are people like you, people like supporters group local one three four, who are, you know, trying to make the game day environment uh, a really inviting place. You know, to you know make the the trek worth it. So so what is it about? What's the perspective for you? What's the outlook in terms of getting? getting what is the city of Chicago into the village. Yeah. Well, I think the stadium and the vibes of the game are so awesome when you get there, but it's a bitch to get there. And there's really no way around that. And in the past, they've tried a variety of things, including some like buses and stuff. And I think that's something worth revisiting. And I talked to Arnim about it. And like, that's one of been one of the interesting things in, in the, in the calls and the meetings is we want to use Arnim's, experience and time, which is longer than anyone in the league running this, but we also want to make sure he doesn't approach this the same as he has in the past. Something that he tried five years ago is not going to be the same if you try it this year with different resources and awareness and everything else. So I want to revisit that, but this again, because of COVID has not been the year because you know, we've had, we've had decent showings at the games, but not as many fans as we would like. And a lot of that is like, I've only been to two Cubs games this year my schedule and my patterns are completely out of whack. And there are a lot of people that are still not back to sporting events or anything in big groups, people who have kids that aren't vaccinated and they're not yet sure. Am I allowed to go take them, you know, whatever. And so now would not be the time to try to launch something like that and then say it didn't work because the, the proof of concept would need to be during a season or a time at least where fans are back in full force and, and back to their patterns. So, um, 
God, I would love for there to be a seat geek right in the middle of Chicago, right? Because I, I don't like the idea of playing at Soldier Field. The, the energy is lost when you're when you're in a stadium that big if you don't have a consistent fan base that's going to fill it. And I mean, the fire's struggling to, to you know, and again, it's COVID. We'll see if it changes, but um, I would love there to be a seat geek sized stadium that was closer. There isn't one right now. So now we try to figure out the best ways to get people out there to see the product and then say it's worth it. Um, and maybe that's some sort of buses again or something like that, but still, still kind of working that out. I like, uh, I think I feel like a big part of Chicago Red Stars community culture because there's a difference between culture and community culture. So I think the, a, a, really, a really big cool thing about Chicago Red Stars community culture is like the concept, like the whole concept of like, if there's a will, there's a way. Cause it's, it really is a lot of good energy on, on game day from, from all areas of it. And it's really dope to see that there are straight up owners who are, have now insert themselves into the, the sort of all of the, the pregame. Yeah. Uh, the pre-game. Colleen Mayer, shout out to Colleen. She's been at all the tailgates too. She provided us all with mimosas at the last one. And I um, taught everyone thunder drunk, which I felt was like a really adding to the community culture. Um, well, and we've got like players, families coming through now. Yeah. Too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, Mama Sharples got the hit Davidson's. with the thunder drunk. Yeah. 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 Mama Sharples David, got Davidson's hit. and yeah. the Sharples, you know, those yeah. Stanford and Northwestern there too. Yeah, she mama that that mama got hit with that with the thunder drunk that too, which was good. I love that these are uh, Stanford and Northwestern families. Yes, yes, like participating in it's it's fantastic. And I'm Cornell, so it's it just tells you that the smartest and best people are playing drinking games at Red Stars games. That's where (laughs) America's brightest minds are. Just a transition. I will start wrapping up here. We always close out the the show with like a fun. Chicago type uh, related questions. So um, Claire had a really good one to kick off. So you want to? Yeah, I mean, summertime shy is in full effect. We finally made it. Um, Back to summer. A little bit too hot, but it feels like I know for me, just like even in my neighborhood, the city is waking back up like in full force. Do you have a favorite like summertime shy hangout spot, whether it's like a restaurant Mm -hmm. or the lake or if you're like, oh, God, it's a beautiful day. Where are you going? Ooh, that's a tough one. There's a couple. Um, I live right near Big Star. So the the sign for me that life is coming back and the weather's better is Big Star, even if it means that it's like heaters on the patio, but people are getting out. So they're like, it's 50. We could do it. Throw on a jacket and get to Big Star. Um, I've gotten, I, I've only been once, but I got really into the, the Parsons that opened up by me also yeah. in like the near Wicker park. Yeah. I just like the vibes. They've got the frozen drinks and I'm a vegetarian, but they have a really good veggie sandwich. Um, and, uh, my, my buddy Marty had a boat share and I'm bummed cause he just moved to Costa Rica, but that was like, it was get on my friend Marty's boat, go down the river. We would dock by city winery, hop out, have some wine and snacks, get back on the boat. Um, so that was always a good time. I need to befriend some more people with boats. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I live near the 606 now. So I used to take my dog to like the lakefront. Now it's, that would involve like put them in the car, drive out there, park, et cetera. So now I do more of a 606 thing when it's a, it's a nice day with the dogs. And then my rooftop deck has been the home of all of my like hot yoga and other things because I couldn't leave the house for a year. So it was like, I'm going somewhere. 
it's just outside, but it's right. better than nothing. That's definitely true. I used to live, I used to live up in like the Edgewater area. And then a couple of years ago, I live in West town. And so it is definitely a different, it's a different summertime experience, depending on just yeah. like where in the neighborhood, which neighborhood you live in. And especially with COVID because your neighborhood is like your whole life. everything. Yeah. 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 But I do oh, want to get back to, I saw there's some new stuff at, at the beach, like North Avenue beach, there's something called shore club and there's some other like restaurants and like, I've, I haven't been out there in forever. So I gotta go. The, the city finally fully opened back up and we don't know how to act. This is like, no, <laughs> and I don't know where anything is anymore. I'm like, what's that? Yeah. yeah it's new. like, what, what do we do first? Where do we go? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's yeah. awesome. Um, we're not going to harp you with the, um, the baseball question because we know you've mm-hmm. gone on record. You're a notorious, uh, a Cubs mm-hmm. fan. Um, so we're not going to, we're going to just avoid that question since we already know that answer, but we thought it would be fun to maybe, since you m- mentioned you're a vegetarian, like, do you have a favorite like Chicago ball- ballpark meal? You have you've, you're a Cubs fan, but you know, you've, yeah. you've raced both stadiums. Is there something that you're hitting up depending on the stadium that you're, you're at? I usually don't because the options are few and far between Chicago Cubs used to have an awesome veggie burger. They changed uh, their menus, but at one point they had this awesome black bean burger with like barbecue sauce and onions and deliciousness. Um, Now it's like, I try to plan ahead and eat before I go, or it's like peanuts, the quintessential ballpark food. I'm not trying to sway you any kind of Mm -hmm. way, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. there's always some great elote. That's That's true. That is true. It's just that like, they also now often put the calories on the menu. Yeah. So you go and you're like, God darn it. Yeah. I'm going to sneak in some fries. And now I can't because I know that those fries are like my entire day's (laughs) worth of calories. I, I, uh, yeah. You know, you get old and your metabolism slows down and then you find yourself just like, you know, bringing salted almonds to a game. <laughs> that's how that's that's lux though. Yeah. That's that's a nice ballpark yeah. ballpark hacks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, this is it's a similar question, maybe a little bit easier to answer. Do you have a favorite uh local brewery or local beer? I, I'm not a huge beer person. I like beers that are that taste like either water or fruit. Uh, yeah, that's fair. usually what I go for. So yeah. um I love a I love a blue moon, I love a Pacifico. I love a uh, um, shock top. Mm. Um, and then locally, like, you know, three, one, two, right. You know, something light and easy. Um, I've turned into a white claw basic bitch. Cause it's just easier to drink. And not- that just seems like where all of it's going anyway. It seems like even the local people are trying to get in on the, the seltzer game. Yeah. yeah. I do love virtue cider and it's up near saga talk and it's beautiful. It's the most beautiful place to visit has all these animals and live music and, and they have awesome ciders. Right on. right on. Love that. Okay, Much agrees. We like to close out uh, with, um, you know, this, all the Chicago stuff, but also maybe like a non soccer thing. So you watch a lot of sports. It's not you're, you're an owner. Now you're watching a lot more soccer and women's soccer. Uh, so what does Sarah Spain try to take in to veg out if you're not watching sports? OK, so it's always been a little bit like this, but especially <gasps> thanks, especially so since the pandemic. Um, I only like either funny things or heartwarming things right now. I don't watch anything with murder. I don't watch anything with sadness. I don't watch anything like Handmaid's Tale, which we were basically living. Everyone's like, are you watching it? I'm like, absolutely not. Yeah. It's yeah, no, too no real. Yeah. Um, so I watched Top Chef and Project Runway and um, all sorts of like comedies. I've also gotten back into like the revisiting something that made you feel good the first time. So like Gilmore Girls and Community and, sure. and all that stuff. Um, yeah. And then I like documentaries a lot. Although again, 
if they're really sad and depressing right now, I'm just not into it. Yeah. Um, but the, the one I need to add to the mix right now is hacks. I've heard it. So yeah. Good. I've heard hacks is good. Yeah. Yeah. And then new season of Ted Lasso coming out. Mm-hmm. Yep. Everybody's about that. I know they dropped, they said that they're like dropping the merch line and everyone's yep. like, yeah. yes, yep. Yep. we're ready for that. We got, we got, the, we all got things to look forward right. to. I got, I got one. I got one more too, which is something that we ask players. It's a very specific okay. question that we ask players, but it feels like, you know, yeah. we're talking about tailgates, got the playlist going when you're driving, when everybody's, you know, driving the 45 minutes to get down to Bridgeview, do you have, have you developed like a game day song or like a game day playlist? And what's the song that you're, you're bumping mm. right now when you're driving down to game day? I did make an MCOT playlist for the tailgate, um, which lasted, but it was kind of drowned out. And then, and then Colleen Mares took over and I, and I respected that because not only does she work in music, but she's a young person. And so I think maybe she was like, Sarah, this is old lady stuff. I was trying to keep it a, a mix and also not swears for the kids. And then she just started putting on the lo- yeah. the, the current. And I was like, all right, well, fuck you kids. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, them kids. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't have a specific red star song. I, what popped into my mind is just my two like favorite driving amazing day songs, which I will tell you those. And then I will consider going forward what my pump up song is for the game. But, um, Pearl jam state of love and trust is just like rage drive. Love that one. And then beautiful day feeling free. Don't have a crazy schedule. What am I going to do with myself is uh Freddie Jones band in a daydream live. Yeah. Right on. Very nice. We um we frequently here at Southside Trap make a uh, playlist because we ask all the players this for a reason. And then once we get a collection of their songs, we throw oh, cool. them on. So we've yeah. thrown on songs for Rory Dames, which is basically just Star Wars ending credits oh. songs. And then, mm, you an know, we so now we can have now we can add on owners. So we've asked you yeah, and, right, Colleen right. and we'll we'll get that in the Perfect. Mix as well. But this has been dope. Uh, we can't wait to have you back on again. Sarah Spain, thank you so much for joining us today at Southside Trap. Thanks for having me. I'll try to be on time next time. Oh, it's a real <laughs> It's a real theme. theme. Oh, no. Oh, shit. I'm turning into my husband. <laughs> Rubbing off. Okay.